Hello and welcome to Appalachian Imagination, the podcast dedicated to history, folklore, storytelling, and personal accounts from the Appalachian region. There's going to be some facts and fiction and lots of fun, so y'all settle in and let's take a ride through the hills, history, and folklore of Appalachia. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about springtime, gardening, and maybe touch on food preservation just a little. Spring equinox on the northern hemisphere will happen at 11.53 a.m. Sunday, March the 20th, 2022. Springtime is my favorite time of any year. It is wonderful. There's new life all around. The trees leave out. The flowers start to bloom. The grass greens up. A lot of the animals are having their young. It is just a wonderful, beautiful time in the hills of Appalachia. Let's start off by talking a little bit about the Farmer's Almanac. The Farmer's Almanac is a book that lets you know the best plant and season and the best times to do things on the farm. And it does so from astrological signs and also historical weather patterns. It'll give you the best dates for planting each crop. It'll give you the best dates to castrate an animal for less bleeding set eggs, all kinds of good stuff in the Farmer's Almanac. And I'm not getting paid to say this, it's just a very useful book for people that gardens and does things around the farm. So if you've never looked at a Farmer's Almanac, I would suggest going and buying one. If nothing else, it'll be entertaining if you don't believe what it says, but it truly does work. In the months of February or March, you'll turn your ground, get ready for planting season. After you do that, you'll head on down to the farm store and you'll buy your seeds and everything that you think you might need for the garden this year. Talking about the different kind of things people plant in their garden and stuff they like to grow. Green beans, corns, taters, maters, onions, cabbage, usually some kind of greens. And all the different kinds of seeds will just blow your mind. There's so many to choose from. You just have to find what you like the best. Green beans, there'll be greasy beans and half runners and long runners and short runners and this kind of runner and that kind of runner and hundreds of different green beans. People around where I live, they always like what they call a Kennyback tater. I don't know if that's the proper name or not, but that's what they always look for. They wanted them Kennybacks. Maters, they'd get their big boys and their better boys and their jumbos and their tommy toes and all kinds of different maters as well. Same with onions. Cabbage, or several different kinds of cabbage. Corn, they'd get silver queen and white hickory and that peaches and cream and this kind of corn and that kind of corn. Sometimes they grow popcorn. That way they'd have them a little snack in the winter. I remember my granny growing it and she'd... Shell it out and put it up, keep it good and dry, and that way they'd have them a good snack in the winter. You know, she can make popcorn balls or string the Christmas tree, whatever she want to do with the popcorn. The main tool used in the garden, or the most used tool, the most used tool in the garden is a hole. The old timers, they like the hole that they've been using for years, and it's usually wore down to kind of a round profile on the blade. They'd have him good and sharp, getting ready to cut weeds and stuff. Then after the 
the last frost, which is sometimes in April and May. And I've heard old timers say if it thunders in February, it'll frost in May. And so far I've found it true. I've watched it just to see, you know, not trying to prove them wrong, just trying to prove them right. And after the ground dries out and they've got all their stuff ready, they've had their beds planted to grow their little plants for transplanting, they'll cultivate it up. After they cultivate it up, they'll get them some string line, a couple stakes, and they'll start staking out the rows. And they'll plant all the stuff that they like, you know, according. You have to plant things at different times because things grow different. Then they get their garden all planted. Then after you get it all planted, it's just a big waiting game. Pretty soon your plants and this and that start coming up. And it's it's really exciting. I just, you know, amazing that the good Lord allows you to use his dirt and you can plant stuff. And I don't know, it, it's just a good feeling to watch your stuff come up out of the ground. When your stuff comes up out of the ground, you're going to use said hole to keep the weeds fought back. And some of the tolls and gardening is weeds. Weeds and varmints and weather. And I don't know the proper scientific names for much, but we had what we called careless weeds. And there was morning glories and thistles and bull weeds and rag weeds and this weed and that weed and all kinds of different weeds. More careless weeds, they were tough as nails. Big, fast-growing, hardy plant. They can grow in nothing. Had some thorns on them, and they are sharp. They would eat you up. Like the same as thistles. And the bullweeds had thorns on them as well, but the bullweeds, they didn't hardly grow as tall. The careless weeds seemed like the one that I fit the most. And the only way to kill it is dig it all the way up by the roots which go a pretty good distance down in the ground. And you dig him all the way up and throw him out of the garden. And I never could get them all fed off, but I could slow them down a little bit. And the morning glory, you know, he's a, he's a beautiful flower, but he will choke everything in your garden out. Little vines just wrap around everything, and it, they just make it miserable. And while you're fighting off weeds, you're also fighting off varmints. Groundhogs, rabbits, deers, terrapins, all different kinds of bugs and worms and crows. And a lot of animals like vegetables the same as me. But you can't let them have your food supply. The big groundhog, you'd get out in the garden, you'd take a twenty-two rifle and you'd bust him. When I was a kid, after you killed the big groundhog, you'd take him to the house, skin him, clean him out. My mother, she'd put him in a big baking pan with some taters and onions and carrots and bake him. We just made a meal out of the old greasy groundhog, and it's pretty good. I've not ate one like that since I was a kid, but I really enjoyed it back then. Then there's deers, you know, the deers. To fight them off, you need a high-powered rifle. And... I'm not promoting hunting out of season, but anybody has to protect their crops, so if you need to shoot him, shoot him. People need their gardens. 
Some people would hang a string line around their garden with pie pans tied to it, and they'd wave in the wind and the sunshine on them, and I guess that kind of detoured the deers a little bit. Old rabbit, he'll slip in, have him a little snack out of this and that. Go back to the twenty-two rifle and pluck your rabbit off. Eat the rabbits, they're mighty good eating as well. And something that's low and slow is the turpin, a.k.a. the box turtle, as some people call it, but around our parts, it's a turpin. Call it a turtle all you want to, and it is a turtle, but we call them turpins. Turpins love tomatoes. They will they'll wipe you out on the low-hanging tomatoes. And a terrapin, I never would kill them. I'd just pick them up and take them somewhere else and set them down away from the garden. If he did come back, it'd take him a few days, so you had a little time. And then you're fighting off the bugs and the worms. A lot of people use seven dust and bean bug dust, different things you can sprinkle on your plants, and I guess there's some kind of liquid chemicals I don't know. But I never did like to use any of that. I didn't want to put anything that poisoned something else on my food, so I'd always use powdered lime. And powdered lime worked very well, but if it rained, it's going to wash it all off and you'd have to do it all again. So maybe it cost me a little more work, but I didn't put that poison on my food. And coming by air, people know them all too well. They live on every continent except Antarctica, I think, and that's our, the crows. Crows fly in, they wreak havoc, they'll eat all the corn right quick. I'm sure they'll eat other stuff out of the garden as well. And you can slip in the shotgun, bust your crow here and there, but hard to get up close enough to a crow a lot of times to hit him with a shotgun, so they'd take the man of the house, they'd take his greasiest, dirtiest, oldest shirt that was wore out, and they'd build him a scarecrow. A lot of them take two sticks and fix him in a cross-like figure and put that shirt on him. Use old milk jug for a head, and sometimes they'd put a hat on him. I don't really, I can't really say how well a scarecrow works, but, but I guess they'll help deter one or two. And fighting all the varmints and fighting all the weeds, you, you also have to worry about the weather. And you can't fight the weather. Anybody should know that. Weather will come a drought, plants won't get enough water and they'll die. It'll come a flood and it'll wash your garden a lot of your vegetables out. Or it may even come a big hailstorm and beat everything you got right into the ground. But the re rewards of gardening, they just make your heart feel good. It's a meal that the good Lord lets you use his ground to grow and harvest. And you get the pleasure of being independent from a grocery store for with what vegetables you grow. Our family was pretty tight, so somebody had a big crop, whether it be tobacco or needed help in the garden or whatever. You weren't doing anything, they'd come recruit you. And the story I'm going to share with you is loosely based on that. And I call it the Appalachian Horror Story.
five-room farmhouse sitting in the middle of a pasture field on a hot June day. I was a boy between the ages of 10 to 12 years old, tan skin that didn't cover nothing but a little muscle and bone. But I was plenty old enough work to work. Getting a drink out of the galvanized water bucket with an aluminum dipper of water that I drew that morning from the well. All of her daily chores on the farm was done. See my uncle coming down the drive. Stand there drinking water, the uncle rolls in. I said, hello, Uncle Rob. What are you into today? He said, well, I need a whore. Looked at me and smiled. And me being a hot-headed pre-teen kid, you know, instantly I got mad. Said, I ain't no whore. He said, yeah. He said, come on, son, I want you to go with me today. I said, I ain't no whore, and you ain't going to do nothing but, but poke fun and aggravate me. I ain't going nowhere with you. He said, I need a whore. He said, I've got this big backer patch, and I need the weeds cut out of it. He said, I've seen you working. He said, I know you're a good whore. So then I got the joke. But you went out and helped family if you didn't have nothing to do on your own place or help your neighbors. So it turns out, after all, I was a whore. We went and hold this tobacco patch out and work the day. And that is a true Appalachian horror story. Though I was mad at the time, you know, back, I can look back on stories like that and they were just so funny. Getting one pulled on you. Uncle Rob was really good for that. He, he just loved getting a rise out of anybody, and he still does. He's getting up in years now, but... I <laughs> just, you know, that's, that's just one of them. There are so many. But I just have a good time out of that. And, I, you know, I've seen on TV the American horror, horror story, and I just thought, what about an Appalachian horror story and just so happened I had one that was true I hope you enjoyed that after all the crops was planted and the hoeing was done for a day or two in the late spring blackberries came in and blackberries was a really important part of my life as a young man kid that's how we bought our school clothes didn't have a lot of money and we done what we had to to work so we'd pick blackberries and they'd sell them to a, rest, a restaurant that was in another county. So we'd get out and pick blackberries. And I hated it at the time. It was awful. The brars, the weeds, and having to stand out there in the hot sun wanting to play just picking blackberries. And I remember we'd have a little one-gallon ice cream bucket's what we always picked our berries in. On the farm where I live, there's a, a big old Charlotte bull. His muscles had muscles on him, on him. 
I'd be on one side of the blackberry bushes and he'd be on the other and I was terrified. I was afraid he was going to run me down, but the big boy, he never bothered, never bothered me at all. And I had an aunt and a cousin, or, and it's a bunch of us, and we'd pick them in our one-gallon buckets, and when we'd get our bucket full, we had clean five-gallon buckets that we'd go dump the berries in to carry them all home and try to pick as many as you can in a day to make as much money as you can. And the best of my memory, we are selling them to the restaurant for, it's either 7 or $8 a gallon. So, you know, back in the 80s, you pick a few gallon of berries, you can make a few dollars. But it was all a family thing, and we all put it in, and that's how we bought our school clothes for the upcoming school years. And we is, is down the road about a mile from where we, where I grew up. There was an old lady lived there, and why we were there, I don't know, but my mother and a couple of us kids had stopped to see that old lady for a few minutes. And the old lady got me off to the side talking directly to me. She said, honey... If you'll go pick me a gallon of berries, I'll pay you, and I'll pay you good. I thought, hey, you know, I could make that money myself. I can use that money for whatever I want. It won't have to go into the school clothes fund. So I got my little one-gallon ice cream bucket. Wanted to do a good job. I'd pick the nicest berries I could find, big and plump and juicy. Worked hard, real hard. Got the berries picked, and I headed down the road to the old lady's house. And I can remember it very vividly. Picked on the door, and she came to the door and opened it. Hanging on the wall behind her was a picture of a velvet Elvis. Looking forward to all that money, you know. Seven, eight dollars all my own to spend on whatever I wanted. She said, well, thank you, honey. She handed me three dollars. <laughs> I was polite, but I was mad. I didn't say nothing other than thank you. So right there, I got suckered by a blue hair with a velvet Elvis hanging on the wall. <laughs> And never did I again go pick that lady a gallon of blackberries. The blackberries, you know, they were one of the first things you'd put up in a year. You'd make jam out of them, or some people would just can them. Some people freeze them, whatnot. But something that is delicious is nothing but blackberry dumplings. I love those things. And the dumplings, I guess you may have put a little sugar in your dough, but Man, they were good. The blackberry cobbler. Put a little vanilla ice cream on it if you want to. It is, it's not required. But blackberries being one of the first things you put up in the year, you know, can or whatever. You'd pick them, and I think it was by weight, you know. You'd take your blackberries and your sugar, and you'd cook them down. 
you good clean half pint or not half pint or half pint one pint mason jars after you cooked them down you'd put them in there and you'd put them in the old canner can them seal them up and that blackberry jam was good stuff on a big fresh hot biscuit i love it still love it i ain't made no, i didn't make none last year but I have plans and full intentions of going out and picking me a couple gallon of berries just to do that. It's needless to say that I'm excited about springtime this year as well as any year. And something it always brought about was getting to sit on the porch again, you know, trying to shake off the winter blues, enjoy the warm weather, smell the fresh spring air, and smell the flowers blooming and everything. And one of your first vegetables that come in on your garden would be your green beans. They grow fast. And the ladies, sometimes men, but it was always the ladies when I was growing up, had sat out on the porch and they'd break and string beans. They'd have them by the bushels, just so many beans. And they'd break them up into the piece, size pieces that they wanted and pull the strings off of them. If you've never got to string beans, it's a, I guess in a way it's kind of a boring thing to do, but it's also relaxing. You can just sit on the porch and watch the chickens and feel a good warm breeze and break the beans, get them ready for canning. And I'm not going to get a lot into food preservation on this episode, but you know, my my grandmother, she had a big oblong cast iron pot that she done her canning in. Down below the house, she'd have a fire built in that cast iron pot sitting on it. And after all the beans was broken and everything, she'd start packing them into the jars and fill them with water. Take them down that big cast iron pot and boil them to get them sealed up, <clears throat> ready to put up and keep. They'd have green beans all year long from the garden, you know. Canning process for green beans is fairly easy. Takes a little while when you're boiling them like that, as opposed to a lot of the, new st the newer stuff they got nowadays, like pressure canners and everything. But grow you some beans and try canning. There's no preservatives. Keeps really good. Another thing they do is sit on the porch and peel apples. Apple after apple, they'd peel them, have them in big buckets and tubs and everything, and they'd peel them and they'd slice them up, core them. Apple peelings and cores, they'd feed them to the chickens and hogs. They'd cook some of the apples down, make apple butter. You can take the apple peelings and the cores and you can actually boil them and make Apple jelly, which is good stuff, too. They'd cut some good and thin. They'd put them on a cloth screen, set them out in the sunshine, and dry them. Put them on a string or put them in bags or jars and keep them and make like dried apple pies. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Just, I love springtime. I love the planting, growing stuff. 
Springtime, there'll be baby chicks running around the yard. And on the farm, there'll be baby pigs and calves. It just, the new life, it just made you feel so good all around you. And the flowers, dandelions. Something else that comes in in the springtime is morel mushrooms. Dry land fish, whatever you want to call them. And I love to eat them. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I just never was no good at finding them. But a lot of the family, they can find them by the bags full. You go out in the woods and find the desired place. A lot of times around poplar trees and around old fruit trees and stuff. More mushroom. He's kind of an ugly little feller, but man, they're just so good when you fry them up. <clears throat> Wish I had about a gallon of them, but I probably won't find one or two. <laughs> a lot of people that really knew where to look and the good locations to find them, they could go out and they'd, they'd bring grocery bags full of hundreds of them. Something I'd forgot to mention there with the green beans, and it's it's my favorite way to eat them. They'd string them and get them broke up, and they'd take a big long piece of thread and a needle, and they'd string them, hang them out in the big string on the big strings in the sunshine, dry them out. And when you get them dried out, they no longer call them green beans; they call them shuck beans, and a big pot of shuck beans with some neck bones or salt pork or something cooked up in it was delicious. That and some cornbread. I had a cousin one time, she is new to shuck beans. She had never cooked any or dealt with them. Got her a big old bag of shuck beans and she, the pot she's going to cook them in, the crock pot, I think. She just filled it to the top with shuck beans, and then she poured water in on top of it. Well, them shuck beans, when you cook them, they take all the water that you dried out of them back on, so they swell up. It was a crock pot, I remember now, but she put them on to cook and left them. She came back home, and she had beans rolling out on the counter where they took all of that water on. And the beans got bigger than what the pot she had to cook them in. Something else I like to dry too, and it's one of my favorite things. It's good for seasoning food, and they're just good for you, but a lot of people can't handle the heat from them. It's cayenne peppers, and it works the same way. You cut the stem off and cut them in lengths, and you take that needle and thread in the same way you string them up, hang them out in the sunshine, let them dehydrate and I like to take them and crunch them up and put them in a, a shaker jar and shake them on my food and add a little heat to it and like I said they're good for you cayenne peppers shuck beans dried apples all of it's good stuff good stuff a little later on up in the summer and stuff they'd start the other vegetables would come in and be mature enough to harvest and go out and dig taters and you carry the taters home in buckets and 
most of the people back in the day, they had a cellar that they'd keep their canned foods in and taters, they need to be stored in a cool, dry, dark place. And they'd have a box built, maybe a little straw on the bottom of it or milk crates or something like that that they'd put their potatoes in to keep. That way they could have taters through the winter. And they'd can all that they could, you know, canned corn and their beans and all that through the year. And something else that they'd can would be tomatoes and tomato juice, tomato juice. A lot of people really like the tomato juice, and some people cook it in macaroni. Some people just drink it. Big canned tomatoes was good in soup. I really like doing self-canning and dehydrating and drying. So many things that we can do and save money and save putting a lot of chemicals and stuff in our body by growing our own food and processing it all yourself. And it is work, but it is so rewarding. So rewarding. It, I just love it. The work's not bad for you either. It's good exercise, gets you out in the sunshine. And the warm weather, I mean, you can get out and go fishing and enjoy the outdoors. Nothing like the winter blues to get you down, but nothing like the spring, springtime and warm weather to pick you back up. Go out and get this year's copy of the Farmer's Almanac. Sharpen your holes. Get your fishing poles out. Warm weather will be here soon, and I encourage everybody to get outdoors and enjoy it. It is my favorite time of the year, and it's just, oh, my goodness. Get outside. Get outside. Go do something. I'd like to say thank you to all the people who have contacted us with episode ideas. And I'm just going to give you kind of some of the things that we're going to talk about in the near future. Some of it to be horses and mules. I'm going to do an episode of ghost stories. I'm going to have an episode on music. There'll be, all, there'll be lots of stuff. We plan on doing one weekly. Good Lord willing, we can. Um, if you'd like to be a sponsor or, or contribute to Appalachian Imagination, you our PayPal link will be in the description of the episode. Be sure to check out our Facebook page and TikToks. And we've got some authors that's written books and stories and stuff that we want to share some of their work and maybe do some interviews with those fine folks. So that'll be something to look forward to. Got all kinds of good stuff coming, so y'all stay tuned. If you have episode suggestions, you can email them to us at AppalachianImagination at gmail.com. So we'd love to hear from you. Just say hi if you want to, whatever. The email is AppalachianImagination at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to tune in next time for more excerpts from my Appalachian Imagination. Until then, I wish you peace, love, and comfort throughout your lives. God bless.